0: and it's exciting to see that. Uh, as Roger said, I work with now with Equipping Leaders International and uh, it's a great place to be for me. Uh, the pandemic hit and so all those personal trips across the sea were stopped and they developed a whole ministry of Zoom. So most of my, in fact, all of my teaching with ELI now is through Zoom. And uh, so I primarily minister in East Africa and Kenya and Uganda and Malawi and Tanzania and Zanzibar. Uh, and I do conferences teaching the fundamentals of the faith and different uh, doctrinal things. It's, it's really an exciting ministry. The only downside is you have to get up really early because of the time difference, uh, but it's been good. So this week I've had the privilege of teaching four mornings, so if I'm a little tired, uh, I've been getting up at 3.30 in the morning for uh, the four days, so I'm a little bit tired here today, but uh, I so appreciate your support as a missionary of CVPC. Yeah. Appreciate uh, the, the not only financial support, but the prayer support that you give us. So, enough about me. Psalm 67, if you have your Bibles turned there, this is just a wonderful uh, missionary psalm. And it's one that has had an impact on so many different people. Uh, John Piper, for instance, wrote his book, well, Let the Nations Be Glad, based upon this psalm. Uh, the heading of this psalm doesn't really give you the context very well. But the comments both in in verse 1 and down in verse 6 give you the sense that maybe this was written at a time of a harvest festival celebration. Looking at the abundance of God, the blessing of God, all that he has given to his people, the way that God has blessed him causes this farmer to, to just rejoice in who God is and what he has done but also recognizes the, the purpose that God has. This expression of thanks that he gives to God turns into a petition for his blessing on the nations as well. And we're going to see that as we go through. So if you have your Bibles open, Psalm 67, uh, follow along as I read. So here now the word of God. God be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God, let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you will judge the peoples with uprightness and guide the nations on the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God, let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its produce. God, our God, blesses us. God blesses us that all the ends of the earth may fear him. This ends the reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this passage of your word. Thank you for this psalm that reminds us that you have blessed us greatly. And as a result of that, there's a purpose we now have to take and share that blessing with peoples around the world. So I pray that as we look at this psalm, you would open our hearts and our minds to understand it, to apply it, that we might become more like Jesus. And so I pray now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock. In our redeemer amen well this psalm is simple because it has one primary overarching truth and that is a truth that is absolutely critical to understanding what christianity is all about but also to understand your purpose in life in this world Uh, it's not what rick warren would say necessarily but this is going to show you the purpose for each one of us and so to understand the, the truth here's the truth god blesses his people for the sake of his praise among all peoples. God blesses his people for the sake of his praise among all peoples. See, God blesses his people. May God be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. It's, it's kind of an echo of the, the benediction in Numbers chapter 6. May the Lord bless you and keep you. the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. That's the ironic blessing from Numbers chapter 6. And so this, this person, the author, has this in mind as he begins to think. Look at the blessings. But he turns it into a prayer. May God be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. It, notice that there also is a little word in the margin, selah. Uh, selah is really a musical term which indicates some type of pause. And so as, as the author says that first verse, he says, now stop, think about this, ponder what I've just said, don't move along too quickly. Uh, think about the great truth there in verse one before he moves on. So again, as the Lord make his face to shine on us and be gracious has to do with experiencing God's favor. God has poured out on us when, when you know, we say when a person sees somebody that they love, their face lights up. Well, it's the same idea here. God's face lights up when he sees you. When he sees his children, his face lights up in delight. And that's what he's praying for. God, would would your face shine upon us? Would your favor rest upon us? May the light of God's face shine in such a way that we have your full attention. You're not distracted by anything else. Many of the gods in the culture at this time were the ones that could be easily distracted. Uh, So you had to wake them up or had to rouse them or get their attention back again. But this says, no, God will always give his full and total attention to his children. God's face will shine on us. The radiance of God will shine on us. And so as as we go to verse 1 and realize that God's grace has been poured out to us, he has blessed us, he's given us his full attention, his face shines upon us, Selah. Think about that. Think about the blessing that that is, that God has given us his attention, that God has given us the ability to have a relationship with him. So you may ask, well, is, so is this talking about a spiritual blessing or material blessing? And the answer is yes, it's both. The spiritual we just read there in verse 1, verse 6 would indicate there's also a material blessing that has come. God has blessed us materially. God has given us produce. God has made the earth yield. Uh, in an abundant way so there's a picture of both spiritual and material blessing here but notice that after that first verse again may God be gracious and bless us he wants you to pause and think about what does that mean for you how has God blessed you as you look over your life you know the old hymn count your blessings name them one by one we're not going to take time to do that but think about it we are of all people most blessed we have been blessed spiritually. We have been blessed materially in such a way that, that no other people on the, on the face of the earth have that. So there's that picture of spiritual material blessing. Uh, and then he says, let's keep going. So the, the, probably the most important word in the entire psalm is the first word of verse 2. And that's the word that or so that. God has blessed us. There's a conclusion or purpose to what has just been said. Why has God blessed us? Apparently, God has a purpose in blessing us, that, and he goes on, that your way, God's way, may be known on the earth, and your salvation among all nations. So God blesses us as his people so that something else will happen. May God be gracious to us, that, so that your way may be known on earth, and your saving power among the nations. See, God blesses us for the sake of his praise among all peoples, that all the earth might know the way of God, that God's saving power might be made known among all the nations. That's why God blesses us as his people. He wants the world to know and understand. And and the the author is so caught up in this idea of of the blessing of God and the nations rejoicing. Verse 3, let the peoples praise you, O God, let all the peoples praise you. And in case we don't get the point, he repeats the same thing in verse 5. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Again, God blesses his people for the sake of his praise among all peoples. That's that's what makes it such a great missionary psalm. And that word peoples that is used there refers to tribes and clans and ethnic groups, it doesn't refer to geographical divisions as much as it is groups of people that share a common language and have certain cultural characteristics that they share in common. So within one country, you may have dozens or hundreds of people groups. So when he talks about let all the peoples praise you, he's not talking about nations. He's talking about the the ethnic groups. He's talking about uh, the, the people that in every tribe or language or ethnic group to the ends of the earth. God, I want all of those to praise you through the blessings of your people. So he knows that God has blessed us for that purpose. And that purpose is his praise among all of these ethnic groups that are there. Now, it starts back in Genesis 12. We know that God, in his covenant with Abraham, said, I will bless you in Genesis 12 so that you could be a blessing to the nations. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you, and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is a design of God. This is, God blesses Abram and his people so that they would be a conduit of God's blessing to the nations around them, to the families of the earth. And so the idea that he said, I will bring you into a land, that may be part of what's echoed there in verse 6 as well, that there's a land promise that God gave Abraham. But God is recounting what he's done among his people in the past. He wants us to remember all the blessings he has done and the purpose for that. Again, God is saying, when I work among you, it's not for your sake. It's for the sake of my name among the nations. He's blessing his people for the sake of his praise Among all peoples. And you can count hundreds of times in the Old Testament where that phrase is used, the idea of all nations and all peoples, hundreds of times it's used in the Old Testament, especially in the prophets, where they begin to to remind them God has has called you to be a blessing to the nations, to the peoples, to take the word of God to the nations, to the peoples. So it's throughout the Old Testament, so it doesn't surprise us when we see the same thing in the New Testament. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, who came to this earth to to redeem a people for himself, the very last thing he says to his disciples is what? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all peoples, all ethnos, all ethnic groups. So the, the theme that has been developed throughout the Old Testament, we see it in the life of Jesus. He now makes it possible for the spiritual blessing of salvation to go to the nations, and he takes the same theme and says, so you people, as my disciples, you go and you make disciples of all people groups. He says the same thing in Mark 16, "Go to all the world to proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Or in Luke 24, that, that story of Jesus walking on the road with the two disciples as they're going to, to Emmaus. And he stops and he begins to teach them from the scriptures that Jesus had to die so that repentance and forgiveness of sins would be preached to all the nations. There, again, the idea that we have a plan and a purpose. It's not just for us. It's not selfish. And then Luke picks up the story again in the book of Acts, in, one, in chapter 1, verse 8. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. So this idea of God having a plan to reach the nations isn't something new. It's not something that Jesus came up with or not something the disciples developed. That was God's plan from the beginning. And how do we know that? Well, in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb so just as God's purpose in the beginning was to bless people so that all peoples would glorify him so in the end here in the book of revelation his purpose had now been fulfilled and completed god is moving history to the place where those of every people tongue tribe and nation will inhabit heaven for all eternity Not every person of every people, tongue, tribe, and nation, but representatives of every group will be there. The final, ultimate, all-consuming, glorious, guaranteed, global purpose of God is to bring a group of people together to praise him for all eternity. God blesses his people for the sake of his praise among all peoples. And that's the truth from Genesis to Revelation. Now, every one of us who have received the blessing of God, the grace of God, uh, anyone upon whom God has smiled, most notably by bringing us salvation, every person who has experienced that spiritual blessing from God, and all the more those of us who have experienced the material blessing of God, we need to be careful. We live in the top 1% of the wealthiest people in the world. We are some of the wealthiest people to ever walk on the face of the earth. And I'm not saying to make us feel guilty, I'm just saying that's a reality. To realize the grace that we have been given by God, the blessing we've been given by God, we of all people in this room are most blessed. But here's the caution. We're so often prone to separate God's blessing from God's purpose. God's blessing in our lives from God's purpose for our lives So often, as David Platt has said, our hearts resonate with the idea of grace and for good reason. We relish sermons, songs, and books that exalt grace, but it is oftentimes a grace centered around us. And while the wonder of grace is worthy of our attention, if it's disconnected from its purpose, the sad result is a self-centered focus rather than focusing on Christ. This misses the purpose of God. If you ask the average Christian sitting in the pew... What is the message of Christ? The answer will be, God loves me. But that's not full Christianity. Not that it's not true, but it's incomplete. The object in that kind of thinking is me. When I make plans for my life and my career, I think about what is best for me. I choose the house to live in, the car to drive, the clothes to wear, the way to live that's best for me. And this version of Christianity prevails in our day, but it is incomplete. God does love us deeply. He does. God has an extreme and intimate passion for his people. This is the beauty of the gospel. God glorifies himself by making his salvation known to us. God glorifies himself by saving you and me by the sacrifice of his son on a cross. And he glorifies himself by showering us with his grace... And that grace has a goal, and that goal is his glory. Well, that's what makes Psalm 67 uh, in some ways such a life-altering text, because we begin to realize that the blessing of God doesn't center on me. God didn't bless me for me. God blessed me for his glory. And God blessed me and gave me a purpose to take that same glory and share it with the world, to share it with all peoples, all nations, so that they too might come and join the praise of God. The blessing of God is intended to spread through me, not simply reside in me. God hasn't blessed me just so I can sit and enjoy that, but he's given me a purpose behind it as well. God has given us a reason, or given us the gospel for a reason, and that is so that all peoples may come to know the gospel of Christ. God has given me wealth that that for a purpose, again, that purpose is not so I can be more comfortable or not that I can buy more things or not so that I can coast through my Christian life until I go to be with Him in heaven. God has given me wealth in this world for the spread of His praise in the world. All of His blessings ultimately center on Him and not on me. Unfortunately, we're prone to separate God's blessing in our lives from God's purpose for our lives, and we all do that. According to the Joshua Project, which is a wonderful organization that tries to track the unreached people groups of the world, uh, they say there are now 17,444 people groups in the world, and out of those, 7,387 are unreached. I don't know how they came up with those statistics, but I will trust them. Uh, That's 42.3% of all people groups are unreached. There's just under 8 billion people on the earth right now. That means with 3.36 billion of them are unreached. And only 18% of all non-Christians even know a Christian. How could that be? There's 7,000 of these ethnic groups in the world comprising 3.36 billion people who have never even heard of the saving power of God through Jesus Christ. It's not that they have heard the good news of God's grace in Christ and rejected it. It's they've never heard it. How's that possible? Is the primary reason they haven't heard the gospel because we who have the gospel have separated God's grace from God's purpose? Because we who have been blessed with the gospel are sitting back with the gospel in the, the confines of our comfortable churches where we're content to spend the majority of our time and resources that God has blessed us with on ourselves, all the while never realizing that God gave it to us for a greater purpose. We never consider that God may be leading many of us in our land that is saturated with the gospel to go to the peoples of the earth who have never heard for the praise of his name. Again, that's the very purpose of our salvation. He has saved us for the sake of his praise among all the peoples. And there's peoples and nations and ethnic groups who have never heard the name of Christ. So remember why God blesses. In this text, he aims to be known among all peoples. Uh, that means somebody's got to tell them about God. They, they have to c- come with the information and the content and say, this is who our God is. May God be gracious to us and bless us, make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on the earth. So again, in order for people to be able to praise him, they have to know him. And for them to know him, for who he is, uh, somebody has to tell them. And once they understand, they can praise him as the only God who's worthy of praise. God is the gracious Savior. We've got good news to tell the nations. We, go, we don't go to the people of the world with a message of condemnation. We go with a message of celebration. God loves you. He's gracious. He's merciful. He has sent his Son to save you from your sin. We say to people living in spiritual darkness, the light of God has shined upon you. Turn from your sin. Trust in him and be saved but he is also the righteous judge there in verse 4 he judges the peoples with equity for all who don't know christ who have not placed their trust in him this is the bad news this is the bad news they need to understand before the gospel becomes good news all people apart from christ will spend eternity in hell under god's wrath and condemnation that's the bad news What if you were one of the unreached? And what if this gospel is true? And what if God is indeed the judge of all people everywhere? And what if in our sin you and I stood condemned before God? Wouldn't we want somebody to come and tell us how we can be saved? Wouldn't we want somebody to leave behind the comforts of home and take the risk of moving their family to to learn a language so they could share the gospel with us? Wouldn't we want somebody to do whatever it takes to tell us how the judge of all the earth has made the way for us to be saved from his judgment and wrath in eternity? Do we believe that? Do we realize that God aims to be known among all peoples? But again, that's not all as if the intellectual knowledge of who God is or what he is after, he's not. There's more, and he says he wants to be enjoyed by all peoples. That's the beauty of verse 4. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. God wants his people not just to know him, but to enjoy him as well. This begins to sound a lot like John Piper, doesn't it? John Piper's book, Let the Nations Be Glad, is one of the most influential books on missions I've ever read. Phenomenal book. I would encourage you to read it. And in it, he makes the statement, the goal of missions is the gladness of the peoples in the greatness of God. It's another way to state our purpose god's desire and the goal of our mission is that people would would be glad in the greatness of god or to be joy in the greatness of god so we don't just want to be people of the world to know god we want them to enjoy god who he is and the blessings that he's given them as well see that's what happens when the grace and blessing of god's face shines upon someone the people rejoice they can be glad in the greatness of God. God blesses his people so that he might be enjoyed by all peoples. God's love for us is most fully realized in sharing it with other people. Our joy in God increases not when we, in, when we hoard God's blessings for ourselves, but when we spread God's blessings among others. There are really few greater joys in, than leading somebody to Jesus. To see more and more men and women rejoice in God and and enjoy the blessing of salvation. God has designed our hearts to be glad in giving, not in hoarding. And yet, you and I in this culture find ourselves being deceived. We're being surrounded by lies that constantly say, get, 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 and then you'll be happy. But it's not true. God loves you, and in his love, God says, give your life away that you and others might be glad in me. If anyone desires to be my disciple, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. See, God aims to be enjoyed by all peoples, and he aims to be feared or revered or held in awe by all people. Verse 7 says, God shall bless us, let all the ends of the earth fear him, hold him in reverence, hold him in awe. Piper again writes, God is jealous to be known and enjoyed and feared, He is displeased when people are ignorant of him or bored around him or unduly casual in his presence. This is why he blesses us. So what does all that mean for our lives? This psalm is not just for information. I don't want people to say, oh, that was such a nice sermon. Um, This psalm really is to change us. It's to make us different people. This psalm first should be a prayer. Uh, We should pray this in the same way it was offered up. It should be constantly on our lips. It's a prayer that, that we can pray for ourselves, we can pray for our families, we can pray for our church. We pray, oh God, grant me grace, blessing, and favor, and use me and use my family for your name's sake among the nations. God, bless this church and use it to take your name among the nations. And we can pray this for the missionaries that we support. God, use them to take your name among the nations. But it's not just about a prayer on our lips. As we've already seen, it's also about a purpose for our lives. And this is a purpose that needs to captivate us, to remind us of why we're here and why we exist. Now, the need is urgent. We don't have time to to play games with grace. We don't have time to just sit back and soak in grace that centers on me. God's given us so much more in terms of the gospel and in terms of our lives and our resources. He has given us everything we have for one purpose, to make his glory known among all peoples. So we need to connect God's blessings in our lives with God's purpose for our lives. Do we want to experience the fullness of everything God offers? Then give yourself to the purpose that God has ordained. Pray and give and go And as we do, let's expect the blessing of God to follow the purpose of God. So that's a purpose that needs to captivate our lives. God's global purpose for his praise among all peoples isn't just an add-on to the church. It's really the central mission of the church. We've all been commissioned together, been blessed together to do whatever it takes to give our lives together to the spread of his praise among the peoples of the world. This is what it means to be the church. And some may give, and some may go, and some may pray, and some may encourage, but we all have something we can do in this. So there's, there's three greats I want to leave you with to help us understand what we do. First is the great commission. Jesus gave us in Matthew 28, Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The Great Commission literally says, as you are going, make disciples. So where are you going on a daily basis? Where do you find yourself? In class, at work, uh, going to the stores, working out somewhere? Where do you go on a daily basis? As you go... What people has God put in your life? Who are the people that you're in contact with? As you go, make disciples. And then in Romans 15, Paul gives us a great ambition. He said his great ambition was to preach Christ where he was not yet known. Who are the people you know that don't know Jesus? We live in a post-Christian culture, and there are actually people right here in our city and in our country that have never heard of Jesus. And as as Lee was reminding us, God has brought the nations to us as well. There's people here that have never heard about Jesus that God has brought here and said, oh, maybe you can tell them about Jesus. Maybe you can strike up that relationship. Again, God brings us the nations so we have so many opportunities to share our lives and preach the gospel right here in our hometown. So we have the Great Commission and we have this great ambition, but how do we do that? Well, God gave us a great strategy in Acts chapter 1. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest remotest part of the earth. So what's the strategy? Start in your Jerusalem and then spread out. Again, I'm convinced that some of you here today, maybe it's some of our children or, or some of you college students I'm convinced that God's calling some of you to go to the uttermost parts of the earth. Consider your life, the ambition of the Apostle Paul. Could there be some here today that that God is calling to pick up where Paul left off, and your aim and your passion and your ambition now is to go where the gospel has not yet been known? I pray that's the case. I pray God will raise up people like that. But whether God calls you to frontier missions, we can all start in our Jerusalem. We can start right here. In 1906, James Fraser was studying engineering at Imperial College in London. Later, he did frontier evangelism and church planting in the Yunnan province of China. The turning point of his life was in college when he read these two sentences If our master returned today to find millions of people unevangelized and looked, as of course he would look, to us for an explanation, I cannot imagine what explanation we should have to give. Of one thing I am certain that most of the excuses we are accustomed to make with such good conscience now, we shall be wholly ashamed of then. He was never able to escape the power of those sentences, and God gave him a holy ambition and a call to China. God intends for there to be missionaries like Paul whose passion, even at the end of his life, isn't to retire, but to go to the uttermost parts of the earth. And God is calling some of you to look at your life now and say with the Apostle Paul, my great ambition is to preach Christ where he's never been known. But for all of us, God intends for us to target our Jerusalem. As we go, we make disciples of all the nations. So are we using the bounty that God has given us so that the nations might be glad in God? Even this Old Testament Hebrew farmer wanted the blessings of God given to him to be used to bring the nations into the worship of the one true and living God. The least we can do as Christians who have heard that commission from our own Savior is to use every resource entrusted to us by God to long from the bottom of our hearts that the nations would be glad they would enjoy the free salvation in Jesus Christ, even as we have enjoyed it. God blesses his people For the sake of his praise among all peoples. May God cause our hearts to beat with that longing for his glory and the praise of the nations. Our Lord and God, we thank you for your word. And we ask you that you would cause our hearts to love your glory. And to so long for your glory that our energies and our resources are turned to the pursuit of your glory and that the blessing that you have given us are turned to the end of the blessings of the nations so that the nations, too, might join with us in your praise. We ask, O God, that you would use the blessings given to us for your glory in the saving of the nations through Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.